0818-715-815. Hello, good afternoon, and you're very welcome to Lifeline. Five one double five one is a text number. Ten days ago on Liveline, it was last Monday week. I read out the Hikwa report on the Sally Park nursing home in South Dublin, and it was devastating. And uh, basically, Hikwa, who by the way are the, are the Health Information Quality Authority, they they inspect nursing homes, but they're paid by nursing homes, so to speak. Every nursing home must pay a substantial registration fee fee to Hikwa. Um, last March, Hikwa uh, basically said that Sally Park nursing home. Um, was a serious fire risk uh, to residents. Obviously, all the residents, given the nature of it, are older. Uh, they gave on uh, Sally Park uh, seven months to rectify uh, some of the serious problems, including fire escapes and fire stairs gone missing, so to speak. Uh, they went back in September and not only had the, uh, the instructions not been complied with, the situation was actually worse. And uh, as I said, I read I read out the most recent report from Hikwa about Sally Park, which was jaw-dropping in terms of fire regulations. And uh, Sally Park uh, have announced that they're closing at the end of the month. Um, now, I know the issues that, that raises. Now, another listener has pointed out in the last 24 hours, Hikwa have produced another uh, report on another nursing home run by the same company, Passage Healthcare International, based in Dublin. And this nursing home is called Lucan Lodge Nursing Home in Ardeven Drive in Lucan. I think it's where the former uh, Italian uh, ambassador's residence, and indeed Italian embassy used to be there in the centre of uh, Lucan. Now, it is almost, tragically, a carbon copy of the uh, situation in uh, that was described uh, as very, very unsafe in Sally Park. Uh, they, they failed 18 different regulations, most of them around uh, fire safety. Uh, there was limited communal space, inadequate provision of storage. Um, a number of rooms were found to be locked, accessible only through obtaining keys uh, from a person. This impacted on the timely access to the room in the event of an emergency. Inspectors found that a central emergency staircase at the centre had been removed and the stairwell was now being used as a storage space on level two and three. This posed a significant risk to the safety of the residents in the event of evacuation. Evacuation and is discussed further later in this document. That's almost word for word what happened in Sally Park. An emergency central staircase uh, was removed. Overall, this inspection found that the register provided inspection, by the way, carried out last September, did not ensure a safe and appropriate uh, premises. A number of changes in Lucan Lodge had not been notified and not been approved by the Chief Inspector of Social uh, Staircase, uh, Social Services. An existing wheelchair bay and storeroom were combined and changed into a bedroom. Uh, an existing central stairs was changed into a storeroom. A nursing stair- station had been converted into a bedroom. Um, so go on, I won't, I won't dwell on this because I'm sure the local uh, TDs will, will come across it and I'm sure um, also that uh, we've asked them last week to come on, we'll ask them again today Passage Healthcare International um, to come on and tell us what changes have been made in the last uh, few weeks and again it goes on. So let's go through the, the list finally and then we'll move on to uh, other issues Um so to speak. Um, the regulations. This is the list of, of uh, regulations. Governance and management not compliant. 
the state of the premises not compliant fire precautions not compliant okay and then the, uh, uh, appropriate the needs are appropriate to the residents not compliant the needs of the residents uh, in a designated set which which conform to the matter set out not compliant the, um, has the designated centre got sufficient resources to ensure the effective delivery of care in accordance with the statement? Not compliant. Is Does the registered provider have a defined management structure that identifies the lines of authority and accountability, responsibility, roles? Not compliant. Has the uh, provider got um, a, a system to ensure that the service is appropriate, safe, consistent? and effectively monitored, not compliant. The registered uh, provider shall uh, adequate, take adequate proportions to get, uh, precautions against the risk of fire. I'm reading this as I got it in the last few minutes. And shall provide uh, suitable firefighting equipment, suitable building services, and suitable bedding and furnishings, not compliant. The registered provider should provide adequate means of escape, not compliant. Uh, emergency lighting, not compliant. The emergency provider should make arrangements for the staff of the centre to receive suitable training in fire prevention and emergency procedures. It goes on evacuation, layout, escape routes, alarm call points, first aid, firefighting, equipment, fire control techniques and procedures to be followed to the close of a resident catch fire not compliant. The register provider should ensure by means of fire safety management, fire drills and suitable intervals that the persons working uh, shall, shall be aware of the procedure in the case of a fire not compliant. And it goes on, the register detecting, containing and extinguishing fires not compliant. The register provider should make adequate arrangements for evacuation where necessary um, in, uh, uh, for the residents not complied. Now, we'd love to hear from Luke and Lodge. We've asked them to come on. R&D, the same company around Sally Park that are now shutting down because uh, they say they can't afford the fire safety uh, uh, precautions, which is shocking that they, that they were um, in such a state in the first place. Um, we are looking for a spokesperson for Passage Healthcare or Luke and Lodge Nursing Home. Maybe they can come on and tell us, by the way, they, that most of these um, instructions from HICWA, again, they're paid by the nursing homes, had to be done by Christmas Eve past of all dates, 24th of the 12th, Christmas Eve. There's no indication of this document, what has been done so far. So we'd love to hear. Hopefully they can come on and tell us, one, we're sorry that this, this all occurred, and two, we have uh, changed. Now, um, it was uh, this day, four weeks, five weeks, the 3rd of January, Wednesday, the 3rd of January, uh, a man, uh, a number of people were driving uh, in Cork near the Kinsale roundabout. Uh, Martin Rooney, Martin, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Joe. Thanks well, for having me on. You know, tell us what happened. This is a, an awful tragedy, but there is some some glimmer of hope at the end. Uh, we hope, yeah. Um, so the incident happened, as you say, on the 3rd of Jan, about 11am in the morning. And um, two good buddies, uh, Henry Hickey and Walter Murphy, decided to go and visit their good friend, another good friend, Mac, in hospital. Okay. He had had a stroke about three weeks previous, or uh, several weeks previous. So Henry picks uh, Walter up, and they're in the car, and they're driving down. Uh, the motorway, the N25, towards Cork to go to the hospital. Okay. And um, uh, Walter was a, a passenger, as you know, and the, the, the speed limit down there now is, is 100 kilometres, but I'd say they were doing less than that, maybe 80 or 90. Okay, so they were going up to see their friend. And as the boys were chatting away in the car, uh, Henry remarked to Walter, because it was toward the jam, they need to get mm -hmm. the decorations down Christmas and put them in the attic. And uh, Henry says, 
Well, I'm not putting them in the attic. I'm sick of going in. He said, I'm going to put them in the box under the stairs. Okay. And as he said that, as he said that, his head went back and he had a cardiac arrest while he was driving the car. So, now you can imagine, Walter straight away, he's trying to control the car. It's all over the place. He grabbed the steering wheel with his left hand and he's trying to steer the car into the curbside of the road, the motorway, so that it could stop. And at the same time, he's reaching down to Walter's right foot to try and drag it off of the the accelerator pedal. And um, this was all over the place. So we had a serious situation. And I presume at this stage, Martin, tragically, the car is swerving or veering as as Henry, unfortunately, had this catastrophic attack. He was driving. His foot's on the accelerator. He's on the steering wheel. Mm. And uh, your friend um, tried to... um, reach over but I presume other motors would have seen that the car was swerving well yes but you know what it's like when people are uh, alongside a car that's swerving they just want to get out of the way and yeah, car- of course, carry on yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but fortunately enough for, it was a dangerous all over the, the car was dangerously all over the road okay so following them behind was two Polish guys uh, two Polish um, workers in their own van and uh, they they saw the situation. They they took stock. They went. They sped straight past the car, Henry's car, pulled in front of Henry's car at distance to allow Henry's car to crash or bump into the back of their van. Okay. And they did all the wow. slowing down and and bringing them to a halt. That's incredible. So that's basically, and they they acted incredibly well considering the situation. And they they, they they acted incre- incredibly intelligently. Absolutely. So the absolutely. two, the, the two, the two lads, and the, they were in a van. They were in the van at the back, yeah. Yeah, okay. And they saw that the car was in diffs. They overtook Correct. the the victim's car, and got positioned and positioned themselves in front of the car, which is now out of control and has Correct. no driver with with a foot on the accelerator. And they yeah. basically slowed down so the car could uh, crash into them, and they could slow it down. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that's what they did. Amazing, yeah. And tell us the name of the deceased man, because Henry survived the crash, but he didn't survive no, no. the incident. Yeah, that, that's true. It's, it's Henry Hickey. He was 78 years of age. Walter was in the passenger seat next to him. Walter's in his 80s. I mean, the, 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 the actions of these people were just unbelievable, considering. Now, as soon as they were stopped, Henry was lifted out of the car, the roadside, okay. and Walter continued to apply chest compressions until the emergency medics came. Mm-hmm. But it was to no avail. He, he was in a coma, so to speak. He was brought to hospital. But the capital, Joe, I feel that there's um, recognition is due here. And the actions of Walter and the two Polish men as okay, well. Okay, we have... We, which we, averted we've... a serious motor collision on the motorway, which was a potential serious harm to other people. Okay, I'll course. come back to you in a sec, Mark, because I, want, I know yeah. Oleg is in work. Oleg uh, Koronik. Oleg, good afternoon. Hi, how are you? Good, uh, First of all, well done. But tell us, Oleg, what, what, tell us what was happening from where you were sitting. What, what, when did you first realise there was a, there was a, a difficulty ahead? It just that I was a small bit wrong information. We are from Moldova. Uh, we are two brothers, but we are not from Poland, from Moldova. No, oh, Moldova. Um, okay, okay, thank yeah. you. Thank you. It's completely um, diff- completely different country. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> two brothers. Okay, Oleg, tell us, tell us what you saw first. Uh, actually, the, the the you said all of what what's happening, but uh, we 
we just was driving to one side of the water one and uh, in front of us uh, we saw the car is going i mean from first hit on the barrier he go just left and right and uh, okay. we saw something unusual i mean something wrong something happening to the driver or something like that and we decided to pull in the front uh, just to look at what's going on maybe he was in the phone or something like that but when we pull uh, straight the car we saw the the, the man i mean uh, he was just he was just flat i mean no driver and uh, and he driver, was uh, yeah, the, the, uh, he was he, he was slumped over the steering wheel. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. It was yeah, obvious. Yeah, yeah. no, it was obvious. Steering okay. wheel and just the passenger was holding the steering wheel. He tried to straight the car, whatever. And we decided that was just seconds. We just decided yeah, to pull yeah. in the front. We get them speed and just we pull in the front and uh, slowly, slowly we uh, we I stopped with uh, them car with my one like. Okay, and no when, big crash, no big damage. Yeah, like, but, but professional. who? Oh, look, uh, uh, who came up with the idea? Who who said? Uh, it's obviously in seconds. But so, yourself and your brother are in your in your van. Yeah, the brother said that something something not going well. I mean, something wrong because uh, from when the first time they hit the the barrier, there was a uh, divide the two roads because yeah. of the motorway, you know, and uh, and just the car going straight left right and everyone tried to avoid but uh, just, that was just i mean just the seconds like uh, and we just stopped the car we we call i think one two one one two or whatever nine nine yeah, nine yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. we we talked there with the and the, they said what to do we said i think he has heart attack because he still yeah. he still was kind of moving i mean the lips was moving or something like that, you know. That was like it's hard to hard to say now. <laughs> yes, but so the it's, decision was on the second, like, like okay. It was on Wednesday, the third of January, um, which is yeah. one, two, three, four, five, five weeks ago. What time of the day was it, Oli? It was around uh, between eleven and twelve. Okay, uh, so it was a busy, busy day, a busy time in the motorway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Broad daylight. Now, also, Oleg, you were not just saving the driver, trying to save the driver. You could see the passenger who was in danger as well. Yeah, 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 exactly. That's why we decided just, um, I mean, we did on purpose. I don't uh, don't care if I damage my car, but because he can do more damages for the cars and... uh, they killed the 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 passenger can yeah. was killed as well or injured or whatever you know, and uh, we do, we did that just we decide just in the second to what to do and how to do. Okay, and Oleg, did other vehicles, did other cars, other people stop and help? Uh, not really. Just uh, one woman which was driving uh, uh, behind us. She saw the situation. She saw everything. She make a for uh, she stop when we stop the car. We get out from the car and try to open yeah. the door. The driver door was blocked uh, from the from the guy which died. And uh, the woman uh, just called nine 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 and uh, okay. and she was on the phone all the time. With the and we try to do first side wherever to push and stuff like the that. CPR, and, yeah. yeah. And Oleg, did you have you met Walter since? The man that was a passenger, um, whose, uh, whose life you saved. Well, you did save Henry's life, but unfortunately passed away uh, eight yeah, he days later. Yeah, yeah. Um, but did, did you, have you met Walter since? 
No, not oh, yet, okay. not yet. We, we was just talking with the um, the man who's died with his son or something like that on okay. the phone, but we didn't meet each other yet. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I would like it was. Uh, have you, by the way, have you ever yourself or the brother, as you call him, have you ever done anything like this before? No. 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 Okay. Well, it was. It was very quick thinking. Very quick thinking. Yeah. Very. Uh, very. Yeah. Because that was just seconds, like. Uh, from the first hit until we stop the car, maybe we we drive another 500, 600 meters. Okay. Or well, you know, even even since Martin started telling the story it's about 10 minutes ago, people are saying, because it happened last year in the programme, people are saying, Oleg, you should be uh, you should be nominated for a bravery award. Uh, which, <laughs> no. Okay. We, we, you see, <laughs> we, uh, I mean, we did that on purpose to stop because... I know you did, but it was a very... Everyone around... I know, but, but it was a very, it was a very, very brave thing to do. Martin, how is Walter? Walter's fine. He's um, he's just trying to get on with his own life, and uh, he's he's a very private individual. Um, they meet in the Rising Tide every every now and again in the village, mm-hmm. and that's it. That's the life, you know. It's just uh, they're all buddies, and you know you can imagine why they wanted to go up and see their buddy that was in hospital with a stroke, yeah, and yeah. You know, it, was, it was just you know. But I just I just think that. They were all brave. They were very, very brave in what they did. And the way they, the actions that they took, like Walter and the lads, it's just unbelievable. You don't hear this every day. And I think they deserve recognition. Yeah, here, 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 here. Well, uh, well, uh, I can tell you because we did it ourselves last year. Uh, you, you, anyone can get a nomination from from the Department of Justice. They're extremely efficient. The, uh, the Count Carlos office run. Uh, it's handed to the Count Carlos office, the Bravery Awards, and you're, you're asked to fill in. The events, but also you, we will be asked to supply a, a tape of this program, uh, which oh. we which we gladly will to verify ver- various things. Uh, uh, Henry, uh, did Henry have family? Martin, children, grandchildren. He he, he did. He's got he's got ah, children, okay. daughter, son, and uh, he's got grandchildren. Um, he's a regular family guy, you know. Okay, and while and Henry, obviously condolences to his family, and uh, I'm sure Walter is still. I'm sure he's shook up. He must be shook up, even though I'm I think about, I think uh, he is. Yeah, I okay. think he is. I think he is. Okay, Oleg, uh, Oleg, and your brother, you're in the construction industry. You're building. Yeah. Are you busy? Yeah. Are you busy, Oleg? Oh, busy enough. Brilliant. <laughs> Brilliant. And how long? How long have you been here in Ireland? Twenty years. Oh, good man. Years. Good man. And do you go back to Moldova at all? Do you find it? Uh, yeah, once in a year to visit the family in Paris and stuff like that. Okay, okay. Um, and well, well, well done on your bravery. Have you have you enough work to keep you going for the rest of the year? Oh yeah. Okay, okay. So <laughs> if you want, you know. Anyway, if you if you ever want us to, to name your company for what you did for your bravery, we gladly do. But as you say, you run off, you run off yeah. your feet, you run off your feet. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, okay. Okay. Oleg Cook, thank you so much, and uh, Martin Rooney. Above all, condolences to Henry Hickey's family, and uh, well done to Walter. And we'll pass on all the information Martin needs to nominate thank because to, to, to nominate the two brothers uh, from. Moldova. Joe at RT.ie. 51551 is the text number. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. We've been contacted by Lynn McDonald. Lynn, good afternoon. 
Hello. Hello, Lynn. Hiya, Joe here. How are you? Hi, Joe. Lynn, I'm, uh, I'm okay. Yeah, well, I don't even... I can hear the upset in your voice because your daughter died um, on the 28th of January and... Uh, Man, she was 10. Beautiful photograph here, Daisy. What a beautiful, beautiful name. And she lived yeah. with Rett syndrome all her life. Um, but you, why, why did you specifically contact us, Lynn? And condolences to begin with. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I contacted you, Joe, because I made a promise to Daisy on her deathbed that I would do everything in my power for the rest of my life to try and achieve some form of change for children like Daisy who deserve the right to die at home with all services provided mm-hmm. and not have to feel unsupported and be given a choice of the hospital or at home on our own. Okay. Um, we have had fantastic support all through Daisy's life from numerous service providers. Mm-hmm. And I am grateful for each and every one of them, okay. Laura Lynn included. Um, Laura Lynn have provided Daisy with respite care for almost nine years of her life. Mm-hmm. And those um, those respite breaks were a lifeline for me and are still a lifeline for many other families. But at the end, okay. it's very difficult um, when, when you're under the impression a hospice will provide you, your family and your child with end-of-life care in the home or in Laura Lynn. And unfortunately, that's not something that Laura Lynn can do. And again, I want to reiterate, this is not to remove any care or funding Mm. or support for Laura Lynn because they need all the support they can get. If anything, they need more. Mm. Because Laura Lynn needs 24-hour medical services so that we would have been in a position to bring Daisy to the hospice to pass there. But that wasn't an option for us, sadly. And it hasn't been an option for many families. If a child is already actively dying, they don't have the services in-house to facilitate the child being transferred. All I wanted, Joe, at the end of Daisy's life was to be her mum. And I think after almost 11 years of caring, day in, day out, 24-7 around the clock, with a smile on my face because it was an honour to do it. I do believe that I I should have been entitled to just be mum. Instead, we were um, we were just trying to get through the hours mm-hmm. and doing everything in our power to try and keep Daisy as comfortable as possible. On Friday before Daisy passed, um, our wonderful doctor, Dr. Sarah Hennessy in Temple Oak. Mm-hmm. Uh, did me a favour and it came to our home outside of ours and she put a referral in to Our Ladies in Harold's Cross which as you guys know is predominantly an adult, adult service. Yes, yes. Um, because I needed backup. I needed to know what I could do if Daisy became more distressed yeah, or yeah. if, you know, we weren't able to keep her calm or if she was in in severe pain, I needed advice from the people who know because I'm still just, mm-hmm. I'm just a mum, you know. And um, the following oh. morning, thanks to that referral, because unfortunately the person who was supposed to send the referral a week before went on annual leave and 
the referral never got to Harold's Cross. So we spent a week of ringing. And when I say we, I'm talking about Daisy's nurses who worked around the clock, um, whether they were shifted or not. Mm. The, the team that has been around Daisy for almost nine years on and off with each nurse had my back 100%. But they're not palliative nurses and mm. they have to go by the prescription that's in front. Okay. Um, and there's no medic in we, Laurel Inn outside of office hours. There's no. No, unfortunately not. Okay. And, exactly. and Lynn, when did you realise? And and it's that, it's it's a that horrific. Daisy was was dying. Yeah, that's one. Um, yeah. We might as well talk in plain terms, Joe. You mm. know, because um, okay. because that's the way it is. Yeah. In November, um, we had a, a meeting an MDT meeting, a multidisciplinary team meeting. And I met with palliative care. I met with a new consultant because Daisy didn't have a paediatrician for almost six months um, between changeovers with staff and staff leaving in Crumlin. So we've had a very, very tough, difficult 18 months with Daisy to the point her bells have stopped working completely. Okay. Um, we were We were having to carry out bell washouts we were having Daisy in intervention radiology and again, that team of individuals in intervention radiology in Crumlin are angels and they gave me my time with Daisy because if it wasn't for them working outside their normal remit, Daisy wouldn't have been able to receive any nutrition or medication and they did it and they made life so much easier and I'll be forever grateful to them. They have been fantastic. But Daisy needed her jeg- her jedge tube which is a tube that feeds directly into her um, mm-hmm. her duodenum. She needed that changed every 10 days because it was getting blocked because everything was so sluggish. So my little girl has been very, very sick and everything has been changing. But come December, Daisy wasn't fighting anymore. And we've always had an understanding that Daisy would let me know. She came home, as I spoke to you previously, on the 20th of January uh, 2020. And she had been given 24 hours by Tala Hospital. And I knew in my heart and soul that Daisy wasn't ready. And I fought for her just as she fought to stay with me. And we got almost an extra four years. Mm. We were eight days short of four four extra years. And I knew every time Daisy would become very unwell with pneumonia, chest issues, bowel issues, Daisy would be able to tell me if she wanted to keep going. And in December, she was too tired, Joe. And her body was shutting down. And to have the discussion with her teams and her nurses and to all be in agreement that it was no longer fair for Daisy to continue pumping her with antibiotics and steroids that were only prolonging her agony. Um, we, we, pulled, we pulled intervention. And that meant that as soon as Daisy would get another infection, um, the chances were that she wouldn't make it. And it was the most difficult yet selfless decision of my life. And if it had been down to me, I would have fought continuously. Of course, of course. But Daisy was letting me know that it was time. Okay. So and I had had a conversation with the HSE and I had told them I needed extra supports mm-hmm. because even at this stage, Daisy didn't have 24-7. Okay. 
and um, the meeting was organised and it was two months later and the meeting was to take place the morning of Daisy's funeral. So for me, I knew I knew at Christmas Day that Daisy wasn't going to be around for much longer. Mm-hmm. I did everything in my power to give her the best possible couple of weeks and I organised her, her mock wedding, her 21st, her 18th, her graduation. I did it all, Joe. Yeah. And Daisy got to be there in a room with 150 people okay. who absolutely idolised her. And seven days later, she was gone. I cried out for help. I told people how scared I was. And as soon as Daisy's reoccurring infection arrived, I knew her time was precious. But nobody helped, Joe. You know, nobody jumped in. Nobody at the very end had her back. And, and Lynn, when feel, just just yeah. when just to, for people, and it's it's a terrible tragedy because it's only ten days since Daisy has passed. Yeah. When did you realise that Laura Lynn does not provide end of life care and cannot provide, does not have resources? So um, the director of nursing and um, the CNM three came to my home. Two lovely ladies who I have the utmost respect for. And um, they sat down at the table and actually when they arrived, Daisy was actually in a bit of difficulty and a Mm -hmm. few phone calls were made to Crumlin at the time because they could see Daisy was struggling and we were told to go ahead and deep suction Daisy. Now, on the same day, the agencies had received word from CHI that deep suctioning was no longer to be carried out in the home. So there was a huge conflicting there was advice coming from everywhere and it was all wrong. There was no communication between any of them. We sat down at the table and the ladies um, informed me that the safety net I believed that I had was not an option that um, would be provided by Laurelyn and hasn't been an option. They did go into detail and they explained that um, it wouldn't be fair to transport a child when they were actively dying and that... Okay. They can only um, bring a child in for end-of-life care if it's pre-planned. Daisy was never going to deteriorate slowly for a pre-planned passing. It Mm. has been obvious for years that Daisy would die rapidly, whether it was from sudden death, which due to long QT is, is quite a common occurrence for our Rex girls, or that it would be pneumonia. And it was pneumonia in the end. We needed, we needed help at that point, and unfortunately, we don't have that service here in our country. I wish we did, mm-hmm. and I will do everything in my power to try and implement it, whatever that takes. But there are gaps. There are mm-hmm. big gaps. So Laura Lynn, in a long statement, they say to us, "What we do, and they do free of charge, of course. Uh, yeah. Short, short breaks, days, symptom management, family support, end of life care." And bereavement support, but my understanding of when they get when you get to that paragraph about end of life care, and I'm just reading it now, is that that would take place at home, is it? That they would provide. Well, what we were offered was two hours on a Wednesday afternoon for six weeks, and they would mm. liaise with the community um, liaison officer who was in our case on annual leave, which she is entitled to be. Mm. We were told all of our queries and questions need to go through that person in the hospital who would then link in with teams. So other than somebody coming over and throwing another nursing set of eyes on Daisy, 
that was what we were being offered. Okay. And my along list, with from from what you're saying, uh, Lynn, uh, again, and, and the Laura Lynn, the wonderful institution and wonderful yeah. facility. It's not that that it is. Uh, Daisy loved it. She was happy there. She, she had a musical therapist. So. She was settled there. It was yeah. a happy place. And unfortunately. And yeah, I made that very clear with your reporter, Joe. This is not a slant on Laura Lynn. I know as, that. I know. You, you know, see, a made that clear as well. Yeah. And and I don't want anybody to pull back on support of Laura Lynn. But we need to all sit down, parents included, and parents who have gone through this process, and we need to work out how to make it right mm-hmm. because there are failings in how mm-hmm. it's delivered. If I had known all along that there were families not receiving end-of-life care in home should they choose to be at home or that there were children not allowed to go in because respite beds were taking them up, I wouldn't have availed of the, the respite. And that's the truth. I would have been much happier knowing that in our mm-hmm. time of need that we would have had the option to choose to go into the hospice service and be cared for through Daisy's last hours. And if, and that, if that service but, and, and isn't that, available, why that would, can't we do it? That would have meant... Daisy going into an adult facility? No, I'm talking about Daisy should have had the option to go into Laura Lynn. I know, but they say they don't, they, yeah. they haven't got the medical they d- they resources do to do that. Yeah. Un- unfortunately, but when when you hear the word hospice, you automatically yeah, presume yeah. that that's the service that you're provided with. It's wrong that your age determines the, the level and standard of end-of-life care you receive. Mm-hmm. Why does an adult one day over the age of 18 receive far superior care than a child of 10 who is battled day in, day out. It should be equal. Equal care for all precious people. Everyone deserves it. I fought for equality throughout Daisy's life. And unfortunately, it looks like I'm going to have to push for care after her life as well because I couldn't live with myself knowing that other families are facing what we've just faced. And you know, t- and, and, and because I remember Daisy, because when Glenn Hansard was on, what was it, Lena? Glenn has been wonderful. Uh, that was about five months five ago. Five months, and you came on to say Daisy yeah. loved his music, and I think yeah, Glenn, Daisy's met Glenn a few times. Glenn was close to tears listening to her story. Yeah, uh, she she had a um, big big personality. Oh, we've had Imelda come to the house as well and sing with Daisy. We've. We've had Ryan O'Shock and see she made such an impact in this world. We have people from Canada, New Zealand, China, India, mm-hmm. who all follow Daisy religiously and they're all grieving for her now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I take so much solace in that, in the fact that my little girl from a small cottage in Temple Oak made such an impact in this world. Yeah. It makes me extremely proud to be able to say that Daisy was my child. You know, and when, when and Joe, there's there's something else that we need to to address as well, okay. um, and that is the fact that on the weekend, if the child dies at home, which should again be our option, if the child passes at home, um, you rely on doctor doctor on duty or doctor on call to come to pronounce your yeah. your child yeah. dead. And we called at 1am when Daisy took her last breath. And it was 2.30 the following day before Daisy was pronounced dead. That was 13 and a half hours. And 
without upsetting your listeners, which is not something I want to do. But I do need to highlight the fact that that little girl lay in my arms for 13 and a half hours after she died and she became cold and stiff and changed colour. And her 15-year-old sister had to witness her body change. And it was two minutes. It was two minutes was all we needed. And there is such a lack in medical service in this country outside of office hours that that child was left like that. And that's not okay. Again, there is no service in place for us to be able to ring a phone number and say, okay, Daisy was deemed actively dying 24 hours ago. She Mm -hmm. has passed now. Can the undertakers come and take Daisy's body and preserve it? But that didn't happen to us. And unfortunately, that is a memory of my child that I have to live with now. And you know why why it took uh, 13 and a half hours? Um, Because they just had too many people to visit and obviously Daisy was no longer in need of medical intervention. We just need somebody to sign Mm. a piece of paper so the funeral directors could take Daisy. I wanted Daisy to come home. As a family, we wanted Daisy to come back home for a couple of nights to her happy place, Mm. surrounded by her family and give her a traditional wake. But unfortunately, again, if your child dies in home, on a weekend mm. and not in a hospital, you need a coroner's report. Yeah, which meant that when Daisy was taken at half yeah, two yeah. on Sunday afternoon, it wasn't until 10 p.m. on Monday evening that my child got. Was released at the, the format. Did things go there? Yeah, I think they did for some reason. My screen's gone. Um, but, but what Lynn was about to say was that. Um, the, the uh, Daisy's body was released on the, the Sunday night, but even that the story in itself is heartbreaking. But the um, but the story in itself is heart is heartbreaking. But that thirteen and a half hour delay where Lynn lay in bed with um with uh, Daisy is uh, is is absolutely absolutely uh, heartbreaking. Okay, um, uh, uh, condolences uh, to Lynn. Condolences to all. Of Daisy's many, 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 many friends and uh, relatives. Um, Joe at RT.ie. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. We've been contacted by Lynn MacDonald, Lynn's daughter. Many of you would have known of, of uh, Daisy's. Uh, on one hand, struggle uh, because she was born with Rett syndrome, but also her delight and the delight she brought into people's lives in her 10 long years, long years and good years uh, surrounded by her loving uh, family. And Lynn, Lynn uh, obviously, uh, Daisy died in her arms on uh, January the 28th, last 10 days ago at one o'clock in the morning. But unfortunately, she was not certified deceased until uh, 13 and a half hours later. Thirteen and a half. Uh, Lynn, I presume you were you were talking with Daisy right till the end. I did, and um, I made promises to Daisy, and I asked Daisy to make promises to me. Um, I Daisy actually was on her back and upright for a lot of the time, um, because her secretions were becoming very difficult to manage, and. Okay. I'm sure many people listening will have been with somebody they loved when they passed and the sound can be excruciatingly difficult to bear. 
but she was very comfortable and she was at peace. And I asked the girls if they would help roll Daisy onto her side so I could pull her into me. And I did what I've always done when she's been sad. And I patted my heartbeat on her back. And as I slowed my heartbeat on her back, Daisy slowed her breath and we stuck together. And I guess part of my heart did die that day as well. Um, it was it was lovely, Joe, and I am honoured that she was in my arms when she took her last breath. And how you, you know? you mentioned her sister, Ellie. Uh, Ellie's yeah. fifteen. Uh, and how was Ellie fifteen years ago? Um, Ellie wasn't with Daisy at the very end. She she came to her about half an hour afterwards, and it. It's been so difficult. But Ellie thankfully feels peace. And she feels um, that her sister is telling her that it's all okay. And I'm so proud of her, Joe. She wrote an absolutely incredible poem for Daisy's ceremony. And she stood up in front of everybody. And those words poured out of her. And um, she, she has always been an incredible sister. She has always put her sister first. And from the age of five, she has always stood up for those who can't uh, stood up, stand up for themselves. Okay. Um, as I say, uh, condolences. And you are campaigning for a children's uh, hospice where children can, if they wish, and these places do become magical places, as you say. But children yeah. can be cared for right up to uh, the end. Her last breath. Yeah. Yes. Okay. One hundred percent. Okay. Thank you, Joe. Okay. Thank you. And you, would you mind yourself? How are you now? You must be absolutely. I know you've been through an well, incredible amount, but how are you? As as well, it's ten, it's ten days as a wound that will never heal. But, while we, while we've been talking, Joe, I've just watched the company remove all of Daisy's equipment. Okay. Yeah. So Daisy's bed is no longer in her room. Her achiever, her day bed, her pee pod. Yeah. Um, they've all just left in the last five minutes yeah, and it's hard yeah. the yeah. silence is very very difficult and okay. um, my focus now is just on making things better yeah. and that's going to keep me going through the darkest days and Ellie will as well and Ellie will too yeah. yes yeah. okay Lynn God rest Daisy thank you in, Joe in, in, in praise of Daisy um, and yeah. I'm, I'm remembering what what Glenn said. Glenn called called round, did he? And the Melda called round, and other people called round. Glenn has had Daisy in Vicker Street numerous occasions. He's come to the house, and Imelda's little girl Violet has given Daisy her favourite teddy bear. And the Irish people are good, Joe. The Irish people are very very good, and okay. I owe so much to all of them. Okay, Ash, stay, stay 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 with us, Lynn. Ashling, good yeah. afternoon. You're listening to Lynn. I am, Joe, and my heart breaks for Lynn. I know Lynn personally, and okay. I'm just devastated for her that Daisy lost her battle. Yeah, and you suffered your own challenges as well. I did, Joe, um, and the reason that I rang you is because um, I spoke to you several years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just want to reiterate everything that Lynn has said. We need to have a conversation in this country as uncomfortable as it is about palliative care for children mm-hmm. and how it's administered because um, I spoke to you a few years ago um, 
my son Oren was seven and a half when he passed away in 2017. Right. And because I wanted to take him home to pass away at home, um, it was a it was a big battle, Joe. And the only reason that it actually happened in the end was simply from the kindness of the nurses that we knew personally yeah. here locally who said that they would provide nursing care when Owen came home to pass um, free of charge. Okay. That's a terrible... It's, um, it's, 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 uh, so, so still, I, not, yeah, nothing has changed. I, just, I find it so frustrating, Joe, because Lynn and I have had conversations about this and about her fears for Daisy prior to her passing away and sadly now that's become her nightmare mm. and I just it makes me so upset that people have to endure this with their children and it's the worst possible thing you can ever imagine in life mm. and yet it's made harder on you for no real reason and as I told you the last time I spoke to you I just find it unbelievable that in Ireland in 2024, we have hospices in every region in this country for adults. Mm -hmm. And those hospices not only provide in-care for the adults, but they also provide home care if that's what you choose to do, if you wish to pass away at home. And we can't facilitate that for our children. Yeah. And that's wrong. And as a society, we need to look at ourselves. And I know this conversation makes a lot of people very uncomfortable and they may turn off the radio because this is a topic that nobody wants to talk about, but it is a reality. You know, I really expected that this would change for people because I know the upset that it caused me at the time and the stress. And it was my one greatest wish that having suffered for seven and a half years, I thought the very least yeah. that I owed my little boy was that he died at home in his own bed with his mammy and his daddy and his brother and sister with him. Yeah. And with, with the um, with the proper assistance and medical supervision. Um, Lynn, and we were told, Joe, that if mm. we brought Oren home, that we had to understand, and this was told yeah. to us by the wonderful staff and ICU in Temple Street, that if we brought Oren home to pass away, that we had to understand that there would be no nursing care provided. It couldn't be facilitated. Yeah, yeah. On an I official level. I remember you telling us that. Okay, Ashling, Ashling, God rest Oren again and kind regards to you and your, your family. Uh, Lynn, thank you, you Joanne. Thank you for highlighting this. And okay, Lynn, and lots of love to you and Ellie and Henry. Thank you. God bless you. And God bless you both. And God bless Oren and Daisy. Joe at RT.ie. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Joe Duffy. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Joe at RT.ie. Rachel, uh, you found an anomaly with the new postal rates for posting books. Explain as quickly as you can. Not as quickly, sorry, as clearly as you can, Rachel, because it is a bit, it is a bit bizarre. I have a Hi, book. Joe. Yeah, How tell, are you? Tell us, tell us the anomaly you've, you've uh, discovered. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so, first of all, could I actually just thank you um, for highlighting self-published authors yeah. um, on your show? 
So I just wanted to say that because um, you do such a good job of that yeah, in we've December. Been, we've been doing that, I think, for nearly 20 years at this stage. It was just an idea, wow. a Christmas idea, and it gets bigger and bigger every year. But anyway, you, you do a lot with yeah. self-published books. You were busy around St. Bridges Day, obviously, given the books yeah. and the, the story of. And what, what, yeah, did, no, what did you I, discover from so, what did you discover that happened on St. Bridges Day, February the 1st? Yeah, so we, we uh, I'm working with a lot of self-published authors in Ireland and uh, we're delighted to do the work we do. Um, but unfortunately, there is an issue um, with the postal rates and I do want to highlight it with yourself and, and maybe on post could, okay. you know, um, could 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 review it, especially on behalf of Irish authors. Okay. Um, so the, the the issue that I have is basically once a book goes over five hundred grams, um, authors have to pay nine euro for that book to be posted in Ireland. Okay. Um, where actually, if the book falls just under five hundred grams, they can pay two ninety five, which I wow. personally think is more than enough to pay for a book. Mm-hmm. Um, and essentially, what happened was I'm working with this lovely author. Uh, she was actually on your show. Uh, in December, and she's based in France. Um, she's a lovely cookbook, and her name's Sinead. Oh, yeah, I remember Sinead, and, yeah. yeah, and Sinead yeah. actually posted me her book from France, and it weighs over 500 grams. And when I received the book from her, it had a stamp on it, and it said three or 40. Now, I got an awful shock, because I know to post that book in Ireland would be nine euro. So it actually makes sense for Sinead to fly to France and post me a book to Ireland, that it would be if Sinead, when she was home at Christmas, to have posted me that book in Ireland. So I do I do take issue that the price is that high because I think it's very, very unfair. And in our situation, we're trying to help authors sell their book directly. Mm-hmm. And we're very much, you know, trying to promote that. And there's a lot of benefits with that. And I can tell you a lot of books do go over 500 grams. I mean, if they're up at 200 pages, they will go into that, that bracket. Um, so essentially what happens on our website is the author will add the shipping rate, which is nine euro. And a lot of customers will come in, they'll add the book and they'll get to the shipping and they'll just abandon the book. You know, and I understand yeah. that. And because, what was, what was, the Unpost, yeah. they, there's the Unpost Book Awards, they're great, the Unpost Reading Initiative, yeah. they have literacy groups, they've been, before it was neither popular nor profitable. But Rachel, what, what was the previous cost? What, what changed on, on St. Bridget's Day? Well, no, Joe, it's always been, uh, okay. it's always been up at that nine euro actually for 500 grams. But I suppose what's happened overall is the prices have gone up again, which is the third time there's been increases, um, mm-hmm. you know, in the in the last three years. But if so I had, if I, the other anomaly yeah. is, if I have two books that were four, oh, yeah. 450 grams each. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If I put them in the one envelope, I have to pay nine euro. If I have to put them, if I put them in two separate envelopes, I pay seven euro. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, it's six, six euro. Okay. So, yeah. So my, my lovely friend, uh, now sadly he, he passed away, but my lovely friend, Liam Cahill, uh, who you also would have interviewed mm-hmm. back in the day, he, he used to send me his books and he used to send me them in different packages. So I would order the two books from him. And, you know, I remember saying to him, Liam, why have you, why have you not put them into the one envelope? And he says, Rachel, if I send them to you together, it's going to cost me nine euro and separately it's six euro. So he was saving three euro uh, by separating out the two books. So I, yeah, I never really understood that. And believe me, believe me, I've been into my local post office here in Sligo and in Ross's Point, and the lady that works there is lovely, so helpful. And I say to her, like, mm-hmm. try and explain to me why it makes sense for me to split this this package. And, you know, she can't explain it, obviously. Um, you know, it's very much with on post. 
they're the rates. Once you go over 500 grams, you're essentially penalised. And I know from working with so many authors, there are so many books that go into that category. Um, and they lose, you know, if they're trying to sell direct in sales, um, they lose a lot of customers in Ireland and also, you know, into the States. Because once you go into the States with that weight, you're talking 22 to 27 euro. Um, you know, and I have people, uh, and customers coming back to me from the States and they love our books. Like they mm. love, they're very, you know, interested in our, we have such an amazing collection of Irish interest books. And, um, Speaking of which, somebody, you know, you say, there was a suggestion is if people use parcel posts, you can post one. Well, you can post a kilo for six euro. Yeah, now those those envelopes are very bulky. Um, you know, so mm. so I've had them sent to me, and the you know the book comes and it's not fitted into the envelope correctly at all. And it, like to be honest, it looks kind of unprofessional. So you buy so you buy an envelope. So you can buy these yellow envelopes. Now, not all post offices have them either. And mm. you can. You can post up to a kilo for six euro. But, I, you know, equally, I would say, you know, going back to my original thing, you know, if you can send a book weighing over 500 grams from France to Ireland for three euro, why is it not three euro in Ireland, full stop? So I would be putting the argument out there saying if we want to support Irish authors and we want mm. to support books in our country, we should have a flat rate of, of posting for up to a kilo if you're posting books. And I think three euro is more than enough for the customer and for the author okay, to but pay for their books. But remember, so even at six euro, yeah. Joe, I think that's, you know, I think that's way too high. And if you're, you know, say the, the first author that ever, you know, came on the website, she, she was a lovely 95-year-old, Bridget Kavanagh, uh, her son and me worked together with her book and he was the first one to say to me, Rachel, my book, my mum's book is 505 grams and I have to, you know, put nine euro on it or, you know, buy mm. these big bulky envelopes um, that just, when you get the book in those envelopes, it just looks, you know, it, it's, it's moving around in the envelope essentially. So you want to send your book in a nice envelope, packaged nicely and I personally think three euro is enough. Okay. So that's, yeah, that's just my, my point to you. And, and I don't think anyone should ever be splitting out books either. Okay. But, someone, um, but the other thing, in fairness, one post, like they are yeah. a commercial organisation. You don't get a penny from the state. You know, they are a commercial organisation. They do provide a universal service. They do provide, for example, as I discovered recently, if you send a letter to Northern Ireland, you will pay the same rate as you do as sending a letter or a parcel to the Republic. But if you're in Northern Ireland and you go to the Royal Mail and say, I want to send a letter to the, to Drogheda, they'll say, well, that's an international rate. It's much more expensive. So I know, I know, I know it's, it's, it is, it is difficult. One, one other person said, Rachel, um, you can fold that envelope you get from on post uh, and you can still use it. And uh, you, anyway, anyway, anyway. There. Yeah, you, you can. But, you know, at the same time, like, you know, there's a practicality. So if you're, if you're getting orders from customers and you want to, like, I okay. do it myself personally, I go to the, I want to go to a post, uh, you know, a letterbox and drop the book in. You know, so I have envelopes at homes and stamps at homes, and like I want to be able to drop it into a post oh, okay. box. And if okay. if I have those big bulky envelopes, I have to physically go to the post office and queue, yeah. and you know, send send it through the hatch, I suppose. Okay. Um, well, the main thing is, will you keep going? Please keep keep promoting yeah, and, and distributing self publishing because you mentioned you mentioned Liam Cattle there, the great Liam Cattle, formerly of yeah. this parish and a political advisor uh, who died in 2022, wrote that. Fan- it was one of our most popular mm. self published books a couple of years ago. 
ago when he was on the programme about the Spanish, wasn't it about the Spanish Civil War and some Irish it people? It was. Yeah, it was a great book. And, and yeah, from, Liam, the from last... Sure to Haramah. Yeah, it was a great book. Was the name, and, yeah. Yeah. And, and Joe, well, just while you're there, can I just mention that we've had this amazing author. Uh, it's been an absolute privilege to work with her, Emma Jane Leeson, and she released Iron Bridges this week. Oh, okay. And I have it here. It just arrived there today in the right, post. Right. So I find it fitting that, you know, I'm actually talking to you because she's an amazing Irish author. She's done this book all by herself. She's the support from Kildare. Okay. Um, yeah, and we're just so happy to work and with isn't her. It, and isn't, we, isn't, it, isn't it a great sensation just to get the, um, get the get a new book into your hand? The first, the first copy of, if you've written the book or been involved, it's a great achievement. Rachel, I should have, you mentioned Liam Cahill and he died. Liam, last time I met Liam was up in County Mead and I'm also thinking, as so many people are, and obviously just the, the, the the great and the good have have had their uh, uh, condolences for the late Taoiseach uh, John Bruton who died unexpectedly I think to a lot of us uh, over the weekend but um, I want to pass on uh, our condolences to the family Fanola who was a former social worker that's how I first met her and uh, John Bruton's family and I remember to me I remember when my own brother was killed tragically and uh, in uh, 1981 one of the first people to come up to the church in Ballyfermot was uh, Jim Mitchell Great Jim Mitchell and uh, John Bruton, who was then uh, in, in obviously heavily involved in Fine Gael. And I met John Bruton, I think, firstly in the 1970s. I would have been in my early 20s. He would have been, in, I think, in his early 30s. And he spoke at a conference of young people about his vision for politics. But anyway, uh, I, I wanted to mention John. I know he's got appropriate coverage on other other uh, programmes. Um, uh, uh, yesterday, I could have uh, Anna Dealish. Rachel Drury, thanks indeed. Joe, after this break. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Joe Duffy. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. And just as I mentioned the late John Bruton there, I noticed during the break, uh, in the doll at the moment, there are obviously expressions of sympathy from uh, different uh, politicians who work directly, but I'm looking at Brendan Howland, uh, who made a uh, powerful uh, speech uh, in memory of John Bruton. And of course, it's all the more poignant because John Bruton's brother, Richard Bruton, another great public servant, a great public servant who's announced his retirement from, regardless of, of your own of our own party politics, he's announced his retirement from um, the Dáil at the next election. And to see uh, Richard sitting in the chamber as they talk about the passing of his brother is very, very moving indeed. And uh, anyone who's experienced uh, grief lately knows uh, that feeling and knows that feeling will be there for a long, long time. OK, where's Caroline? Car- oh, no, Claire, Claire Clarkson, Claire. Hiya, how are you doing, Joe? Good, thanks. Good, 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 good. Um, I, You're very good to charity. I know that generally, Claire. But how did you, when did you realise... That you had inadvertently given. How much did you give to charity in in a, in in this in the shop? I gave sixty five euros. And were you asked to give it? No, I what? wasn't. I wasn't uh, asked. Had you any idea you were giving it? Absolutely no idea. Had you I any thought... idea who you were giving it to? No, and I still don't know who it was going <laughs> to be given to. <laughs> but you did give it. I did give it. I was making a couple of purchases and 
there was a total of the four items I was purchasing and I tapped my phone and yeah. then a notification came up on my phone and it was 161 euros instead of a little under 100 euros and I went, hang on, yeah. what what has just happened? And I looked at the receipt and had the four items and then on another line under it, it had charitable donation, charitable donation, thank you, 65 euros. And there was... So, so, so but, but the first thing is you're heading for a plane. I presume. I was heading for a plane. Yeah, so I was in Dublin Airport. So you don't want to miss the plane. Well, this is it. So it was the 26th of January. I was getting a flight to Miami. So I had the two lots of security to be doing. So I'd done the one lot. I went through the loop, had a little mosey around, as you do. You know, there's lots of little bits Mm. that you can't get normally. And I spotted a few things that I'd wanted. And then I was like, okay, got to hurry up, got to hurry up, because I don't know how long US pre-clearance takes in Dublin. I'd done it out of Shannon, because I'm a clear woman. Um, but I'd never done it out of Dublin before. And everyone said, oh, it's much longer out of Dublin. So I was trying to allow myself as much time as possible. So when I noticed that, I raised it. I went, oh, hang on, this is after going through. That shouldn't have happened. And nobody could rectify it. And I had no time to hang around to rectify it. I just had to keep moving, you know. Yeah, so, of course, of course. So, so then... <laughs> It turned into a mystery. Who, where did a 65 go? Who took well, it? I don't. Well, it was the loop at Dublin Airport took it. But did you um, put in, for, did you put in your PIN number or did, I know it's tap up to a certain amount and those different amounts are different. So you didn't put in a PIN number. There's no way, no, I, there's no way the number 65 could have been entered onto the bill. That's what I mean. No, Even um, accidentally. I used my phone. So I use Google Pay. So you can spend huge amounts of money on Google Pay. It's not like a chip and pin mm. card. It doesn't have a 50 euro maximum. And it's the fact that I saw the total as the total. And it was only when the notification came up on the phone that it showed that that payment had gone through. <laughs> have you got your money back? Well, yes, I think. Um, the refund was done <laughs> in Dublin Airport That's... on Monday morning. Okay. So I came back in Monday morning after a nine-hour flight. Mm-hmm. Tried to get it resolved. It took three people in more than 30 minutes. And in the end, they went, okay, yeah, we can do a refund. But up to that point, nobody knew what to do with it. Um, They couldn't explain it. They were like, there's no product code. There's no line number. Like, nobody could understand how to do the refund. So they've told me it's done now. It's not in my bank yet, but I'm totally on the way. It's DAA. Seriously, they're totally reputable. Um, So... The DAA say, our colleagues in ARI, which is now the organising yeah. company, uh, umbrella company, uh, The Loop, everyone knows The Loop, mm-hmm. who operate The Loop, um, are, and I'm, I'm thinking about the word The Loop, you were in some loop trying to find out what happened, your money, <laughs> are looking into this issue, which has been rectified, a full refund issue to the customer. By the way, did they give you the 65 back, or did they say, I'll take the 160? It was 65, uh, just the 60. I didn't even get a sorry. Like, I didn't even oh, okay. get an apology for all the hanging around, which was the thing yeah, that yeah, kind yeah. of okay. annoyed me the most. And it was only when I any, took the But then they tell the us, any yeah. money raised by charity initiative, Dublin Airport go to DAA's three charities of the year, which are chosen by staff every uh, 12 months. There's your receipt with the charity donation. Thank you. you got to thank you for your charity donation. <laughs> and um, th- I think they're, they, 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 they don't know what happened. So, no, no. But the other question is, has it happened on other occasions? Has it happened on and, other occasions? I and wonder. This was my question. And when I arrived into, because you know the small little kind of loop areas after baggage. Yeah, of course, where you can collect sometimes. Yeah. Tiny, yeah, there's a tiny little loop area. And that's where 
I brought it to the attention coming through because I was like, I don't want to leave until I get this rectified. And the first lady I spoke with said, oh, yeah, we've had this issue over the last few days. So I believe I'm not the only person. Okay. So, yeah, so I don't believe I was the only person. But well, is there... After a, half, but is there... See, what I, what I... And the idea you haven't uh, told us, if I go to a checkout in the loop... After buying me small bottle of Lucas Aid, okay, and me club orange with with the bits. When you go, because I do suffer with the thing every now and again, I find the club orange pretty good. Anyway, so I'm up at the, the, the loop desk. Can I say to the checkout, can I make a donation to charity? Is there a sign anywhere? I didn't see anything, but apparently they ask you. So... From the response I got from yeah. Dublin Airport on TikTok, they said, you know, that you have to say yes or no if you want it, and then you say the amount. But a couple of staff from The Loop had commented on that video saying that we ask you and you say yes or no, and then you tell us the amount. So it's the okay. staff member that puts that in. So it's not the customer. So okay. I don't know how the yes was pressed and then 65 euros. Okay. Say, would you, well, well, Claire, just to be clear, say yes for me. Yeah, okay, yes. <laughs> say 65 euros. 65 euros. Say it's slower than that. It's a little bit slower. 65 euro. Say it faster than that. 65. So that's clear as a bell. It's quite clear, you isn't it? You need a hero, you don't hear. It's not a, it's, it's yeah. not a quite, it's not a hesitation in your voice that comes out with 65 euro. Okay, okay. We'll ask one, and I know, and you said it in your initial call to us, please, I want people to always give to charity, but please know who you're giving it to, when, where, and uh, why. Well spotted, Claire. Though if you hadn't, if if you hadn't spotted it. Well, this is the thing, and you know, I was heading out to Miami. I tried to make contact while I was away. I couldn't make contact to get it resolved. So I wanted to get it resolved going back through. And after half an hour and three different people of trying to get it resolved, I created that video for TikTok, and it was only after that that everything gets resolved. Okay, okay. Claire, good amina mahogany. That's Claire Clarkson. Cormac Meehan, back to... The 100-day saga on Liveline of not not the environment issue, but the process issue of why this whole convoluted system had to be set up for us to be encouraged to recycle our plastic. All you had to do was actually do an advertising campaign and add a plastic receptacle to every bottle bank in the country. And I reckon people would have gone gone along with it. But instead, we have these reverse vending machines. We have these labels, barcodes, systems, computers, crush, crash, don't bash. Cormac Meehan, what happened, Cormac? I went to the machine in Bundoran uh, last Sunday morning, Joe, mm-hmm. and I had, following hearing your show last Wednesday, I, I collected a few bottles so that I could try this system out. Now, they didn't have the Recycle logo on them, but it was given to understand in your interview with the gentleman from mm. the company that they could yeah, actually be, be used in a transition period. So I put my bottle in and it just came up, barcode not recognised. Now, I tried each of the three bottles okay. just to make sure there wasn't a blip, but that was it. So uh, the little sign then says, please do not leave your bottles here. Mm-hmm. Take them home, put them in your own bin. If you leave them here, you could be prosecuted because we can check our CCTV. And oh. so I oh. went oh. back home with my tail oh. between my legs and my Sunday <laughs> papers and uh, put them in my, my grey bin for collection tomorrow morning. Okay, so, so uh, you went, you, you paid the deposit, the 15 or 25 cents. Oh, cent. no, 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 Joe, no. Okay. No, no. no these were bottles that oh. were purchased prior to the 1st oh, of February. Okay. 
So you, only a few days. So you talk. Again, you, okay. So you. So you. Okay. Well, you're, you're the, the machine. Like I saw one tidy town committee uh, posting six photographs of the beautiful machines. Yeah. As if the machines in themselves are a piece of beauty. Oh, that they're, they're, they're quite. They're quite. They're oh, quite they're, they're beautiful. They want to be. Oh, they want to be a fifteen k, fifteen k lash, and let's hope they're vandal proof, and let's hope they change them because they're illegal at the minute because they they're the receptacle, the the uh, opening is too high for people in wheelchairs, yeah. and it's not accessible to visually impaired people, which you, which you are obliged to do uh, for it, any it, it's the But anyway, period that so, I'm concerned about. But they say, they say, please do not leave your bottles here, you brat. Yeah. Take them home yeah. and put them in your home bin. If you leave them here, you brat, we will check our CCTV <laughs> and we'll prosecute you, you brat, for littering. Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> you can imagine how I felt opening the Sunday Independent over my cornflakes on Sunday. <laughs> Okay. So, but I thought there was an interregnum period, and I felt that it would. Well, you see, it, it I, seems to a, make sense. Yeah, but I thought the interregnum period was, was, in one sense, last whatever day, last day we did. I think it was Thursday. In one sense, it went the other way. I thought the interregnum period was going to be in favour of return. In other words, um, the the retailer had been charged the fifteen cent on the bottle of. Uh, what was it Coke yeah. Zero or can of yeah. Coke Zero so he had to he or she had to charge you the 15 cent so that 15 cent goes to return but there was uh, 600 products as, a, as of last Thursday sure. which were not recognised by the machine but had the bar the, the, uh, because there was no um, logo on it and it was the barcode that had to be processed by the retailer so Anyway, and, and there was a lot. In I'm other not words, advocating deception. Or no, anything, no, never. If the, bar, if the barcode, if the barcode isn't recognised, fair enough. But the machine cannot discern whether you bought the bottle on the thirty first of January or the first of February. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Okay, on we go. Everyone's in favour of recycling plastic. It's a pity we don't have our own. The money put into this system wasn't put into a recycling plant in uh, the Republic, which we don't have for plastic. That would waken people up in a good way very quickly. But anyway, uh, on we go and uh, people will keep in touch. Cormac Meehan, go to me and try and stay out of prison, will you, Cormac? Please. (laughs) Please. You're above and bundled and it's an awful journey (laughs) to Mount Joy twice a week for your poor family to deliver you a bottle of Lucas said. Cormac Mean, good Please. to meet you, Thanks for your good humour. Harry Buckless uh, is on sound. Research, Richie Byrne, broadcast coordinator. It was Richie, as you know. Uh, uh, sorry, it was Shane Galvin, as you know. Everyone knows Shane's name, hopefully at this stage. And the producer uh, was Tara Lockery-Grant and Ray Darcy is next. 0818 715 815 stays open until 3.15pm or email joe at rte.ie 